I'd like to read today from the book of Ezra. Now, I want to do a little quick survey. Put up your hand if you have read the book of Ezra this year. Chris, if I had a prize, you would get it. <laughs> um, but not a lot of people, which is good because that's what I want to read from today. And so I hope you can go away having learned a little bit of something that something new today. We've been reading from the Old Testament a fair bit lately at church. Um, ben and the team have been talking on new beginnings. And the focus has been in the Old Testament, which is often quite different because um, quite often we find ourselves in the New Testament. It's a bit more, um, the language is a bit more friendly perhaps. It's a bit easier to understand. Um, and I'd have to admit, I've not read Ezra much before, um, but a, a month or so ago I was reading through this passage and I just saw so much goodness in, in the scripture. So today I'd like to share some thoughts and ideas from that with you. So I've titled my message today, Rebuilding the Foundation. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I pray that you come and be with us tonight. I pray that you use my lips to speak what you want me to speak. I pray that you open eyes and ears to see and hear what you want to be heard and seen. I pray you be with each and every one of us. Amen. So let's get straight into it. If you've brought your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to the book of Ezra. It's in the Old Testament. Um, and we'll go read chapter 3. But if you don't have it, it is on the screen as well. In early autumn, when the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled in Jerusalem with a unified purpose. Then Jeshua, the son of Jehozadak, joined his fellow priests and Zerubbabel, son of Shelatil, with his family in it, rebuilding the altar of the Lord God of Israel. They wanted to sacrifice burnt offerings on it, as instructed in the law of Moses, the man of God. Even though people were afraid of the local residents, they rebuilt the altar at its old site. Then they began to sacrifice burnt offerings on the altar to the Lord each morning and evening. They celebrated the festival of shelters as prescribed in the law, sacrificing the number of burnt offerings specified for each day of the festival. They also offered the regular burnt offerings and the offerings requ required for the new moon celebrations, annual festivals as prescribed by the Lord. The people also gave voluntary offerings to the Lord. Fifteen days before the festival of shelters began, the priests had began to sacrifice burnt offerings to the Lord. This was even before they had started to lay the foundation of the Lord's temple. Then the people hired masons and carpenters and brought cedar logs from the people of Tyre and Sidon, paying them with food, wine and olive oil. The logs were brought down from the Lebanon mountains and floated along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea to Joppa, for King Cyrus had given permission for this. They constructed the temple of God. The construction began in mid-spring, during the second year after they arrived in Jerusalem. The workforce was made up of everyone who had returned from exile, including Zerubbabel son of Shelatil, Jeshua son of Josedek, and his fellow priests, and all the Levites. The Levites, who were 20 years old or older, were put in charge of rebuilding the Lord's temple. The workers at the temple of God were supervised by Jeshua with his sons and relatives, Cadmiel and his sons, and all descendants of Hodiah. They were helped in this task by the Levites of the family of Henadad. When the builders completed the foundation of the Lord's temple, the priests put on their robes, took their places to blow their trumpets. And the Levites, descendants of As Asaph, clashed their cymbals to praise the Lord, just as King David had prescribed. 
With praise and thanks, they sang this song to the Lord. He is so good, his faithful love for Israel endures forever. Then all the people gave a great shout, praising the Lord, because the foundation of the Lord's temple had been laid. But many of the older priests, Levites and other leaders who had seen the first temple wept aloud when they saw the new temple's foundation. The others, however, were shouting for joy. The joyful shouting and weeping mingled together in a loud noise that could be heard far in the distance. So if we put all the unusual names aside, this passage is about the rebuilding of the temple. But to understand this, we must first look deeper into the history of the first temple, and then we can better learn from this passage. I like to do this with what I read, particularly in the Old Testament, because it gives me a bit of perspective and it puts the the passage into context and makes it easier for me to understand. Some verses from the Bible can be taken as a standalone verse, but others need to be looked at in order to understand the context of the verse. Many, we have to have a little bit of knowledge of history in order to understand the message. For example, if you look at verse 12, it's quite unusual, which is the last bit, um, it's quite unusual when taken by itself. They just built a brand new foundation of a temple for the Lord that they were worshipping, and then you've got half of them are weeping and half of them are rejoicing. It just doesn't really make sense. So there's some really key points in this chapter and I'd like to go through them. But first I'd like to take you on a short history lesson, if you'll allow me. So this chapter in Ezra, it's about the beginning of rebuilding the temple, building the foundation. So let's look at what they were rebuilding. They were rebuilding what was known as King Solomon's temple. In 1 Kings chapter 5 to 8, and in Chronicles as well, we read about the temple that King Solomon built. And I'll tell you this, it was very extravagant and very expensive. Um, the Bible gives all the details, but First uh, Kings 6 tells us that King Solomon began to construct the first temple uh, 480 years after the people of Israel were, were delivered from their slavery in Egypt. And most people are familiar with that, you know, when Moses led them out through the, to freedom and led them through the Red Sea. It tells us that the temple was 90 feet long, 30 feet wide and 45 feet high. It was a complex of rooms built all around the outside of the temple at the sides and the back. There were three floors linked by stairs. The inside was panelled with cedar wood. The inner sanctuary was 10 metres long, 10 metres wide and 10 metres high and its walls and ceilings were overlaid with pure gold. He overlaid the rest of the temple's interior with pure gold as well as much of the floor and decorated with carvings into the gold. The furnishings for the temple included many huge bronze items, as well as other furnishings made from pure gold, silver. Um, They made lampstands, cups, basins, dishes, um, drinkware, cutlery, and most of this was overlaid with gold. And inside this temple is where they put the Ark of the Covenant. So you get the idea that it was really extravagant. The Bible tells us the quantity of gold, silver and bronze used in the building of the temple in many different scriptures. And in total, it tells us that over 108,000 talents of gold, which is nearly 3.7 tonnes of gold, was used in this temple. There was 34,000 tonnes of silver, 
Now the value of this gold and silver alone in today's equivalent would be worth over $216 billion. This doesn't include bronze, which is also very, very valuable, precious metals, stones, the cedar wood. Apparently King Solomon paid for cedar wood by giving entire communities to the, to the, to the king to pay for the wood. And the temple was built with 153,000 forced labourers. To put this into perspective for me, I think of, I work at the Royal Adelaide Hospital, so I think of that, it was a $2 billion building which took 10 years to make. It's the most expensive building in half the world. And this is just a fraction of what King Solomon's temple was worth. So this magnificent temple was built by King Solomon and it stood for around just over 400 years. During this time, there were many different kings. The kings began to do evil in the sight of the Lord and eventually King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and captured the temple. And from then, thus began the destruction of King Solomon's temple and the fall of Jerusalem. The, pe the people became exiled and if you bear with me, this is where it all connects. For 70 years, the people lived in exile. And then we read in the beginning of Ezra in chapter 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 5 to 7, the family heads of Judah and Benjamin, the priests and the Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved, prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. All their neighbours assisted them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, with valuable gifts, in addition to all the freewill offerings. Moreover, King Cyrus brought out articles belonging to the temple of the Lord, which had been carried away from Jerusalem and placed in the temple of his God. It goes on in Ezra 2 to tell us that they returned to Jerusalem. Over 42,000 people returned to Jerusalem and then the family leaders gave generously towards rebuilding this temple on the original site of King Solomon's temple. Which brings us to chapter 3, which we read. So we have King Solomon. He was a really wise man of God. He wanted to build a temple to honour the name of the Lord God. He built this magnificent, extravagant temple using funds from his own empire, using labourers that were forced or paid. And the Lord responded and set apart that temple. He promised to watch over and care for it as long as the people follow him. Pretty simple, right? As long as they follow him, he will watch over the temple and look after them. If the people disobeyed God's commands, he promised to reject the temple and uproot the people from Israel, which started out well. But over time, the novelty began to wear off and people began to disobey God. And the temple, as God had promised, was destroyed. The people were exiled. You see, our God is a forgiving and a just God. So God spoke to them again. And the Bible tells us that they responded and set out to build the temple on its original site. You notice the key thing that they did was that they responded. They didn't say, we've done that before, look how it turned out, now we're in exile, what's the point of rebuilding it on the same site? God gave it to us once and now he let us down, we're all in exile, what's the point? He didn't say that. They said, okay, we'll do what you've asked. They responded. So today I'd like to look at Ezra 3 and what we can learn from the people's response. The first thing was that they had a unified purpose. 
So Ezra 3 verse 1 tells us, In early autumn, when the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled in Jerusalem with a unified purpose. You see, when God speaks to people and the church as a whole, to successfully fulfill what God wants, people need to be unified. We are told this over and over again in the Bible. We are told, let there be no divisions amongst you. Be united in the same mind and judgment. How good and pleasant when brothers dwell in unity. Together with one voice glorify God. Live in harmony with each other. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another and live in peace. Think of it this way. Let's put it into a practical example. So God speaks to Ben and says, I want you to start a community program outreach program so he goes to Damien and goes this is what I think and he goes oh well actually with that money I'd rather repaint the outside of the hall and so he goes to Julian and he says oh this is what God spoke to me about and she goes oh well actually I'd rather spend that money on a better sound system and then he tells Renita who goes well I'm that's too hard I'm too busy I I just don't have time to organize that if you want to do it you you do it yourself and so he shares it with Chris And she says, well, that's good, but, you know, we need a full commercial kitchen first before we go and try and do something for the community. It's too hard to prepare on one stove. And then Food Bank contacts Ben and says, we've got all this free food for you to give out to people in the community. And Benito goes, well, I can't be bothered driving all the way down there to pick it up. (laughs) You know, the footy's on, I'd much rather do that. And can you see how this ends up? When every person has their own agenda, they're not unified, the purpose can't be achieved. But when people assemble with a unified purpose, God begins to move. When God speaks to Ben and says, I want you to start an outreach program, and he shares it with others, and Damien says, well, God spoke to me about that too. I could help organise the logistics. And Julie says, well, would you like me to organise a bit of music, make it feel a bit more homely? And Juanita says, I can help with that. I have some ideas to share to, to help make it work. And Chris says, well, I can put together a team who'd love to make meals for people so that people can be fed. And Benita goes, well, how generous. I'll pick it up and then package it up in the freezer so we can use it later on. You see, when God begins to move, when people have a unified purpose, and we see that in our church, in our community, in our meetings, in the programs, in the pop-up kitchen, in the youth, because where there is unity, God commands a blessing. The second thing they did is they gave regular offerings. It says in verse 3 to 6, They began to sacrifice burnt offerings on the altar to the Lord each morning and evening. They celebrated the festival of shelters as prescribed, sacrificing a number of burnt offerings specified for each day of the festival. They also offered regular burnt offerings and offerings required for the celebrations and annual festivities. The people also gave voluntary offerings to the Lord. And this was even before they began to lay the foundation. You see, giving is a sacrifice that many of us are not willing to make. Giving takes on many forms. And for each one of us, there is one we prefer and one that we don't. For some of us, we can give advice freely and generously. But giving finances is a bit of a sore spot. For others, we're happy to donate generously towards something. But when it comes to giving time we're much less generous. You see, for a foundation to be built in God's kingdom, we must give offerings regularly and generously. See, in these verses, they gave regularly morning and evening. They gave voluntary. They gave regularly, even before 
the foundation was started. They didn't wait until the project was well underway and then say, okay, I'll give now that it's well underway. I'll give a little bit and we'll see, see how it turns out next. They generously supported the project because they believed in what God had promised to them and they believed in the voice of God. You see, the Bible talks about giving of tithe. It's a fundamental part of the Christian faith because it's being obedient to God and giving back a fraction of what he's given to us. But on top of that, the Lord requires us to give of our time and energy, to offer up other areas of our life to serve him. If we continue on this example of the pop-up kitchen, if we all gave financially, it would have plenty of money. But if no one was willing to cook or serve the food, it wouldn't run. In the same way, if everybody cooked a soup, but no one was willing to sit down and listen to someone's story, how then will they come to know about God's love? To build a firm foundation, it's important that we give regularly what we have to offer. The third thing is, is that they all contributed to the workforce. In Ezra 3, 8, it says the workforce was made up of everyone who had returned from exile. When you look at the temple that King Solomon built in comparison to the second temple, I noticed a couple of key differences. Both of them were built to honour the Lord. But what was different is that King Solomon's temple was built solely financed by his empire using paid labour. The second temple, in comparison, was built by all of the people, assembled with a unified purpose. It was built using articles that were given by the people and their neighbours freely and as offerings. And it was built with a workforce that was made up with everyone who had returned from exile. The second temple was built from a sacrifice of the people. Yes, it wasn't as grand or magnificent. It didn't cost as much in financial value. It wasn't as big. But it was celebrated because they all contributed to it in some way or another. Maybe, maybe the men and women who could work worked on it. Maybe the grandmothers cooked so that the men and women could work longer in the day. Maybe the older children helped to supervise the younger children so that, that more adults could help with doing, I don't know, but the Bible tells us that everyone made up the workforce and everyone can contribute in some way. Think about it. We all contribute to the building the foundation of this place, this church, the programs we run, the events we hold. We all contribute to that with a unified purpose. And that is why God blesses the church. You see, man looks at the outside, but the Lord looks at the heart. What will the Lord see when he looks at your heart? Will he see your contribution to his kingdom? You see, a, a, a program run through the church requires all of us to contribute. Our Sunday services require all of us to contribute. To build a foundation that will last, we all need to contribute to the workforce that builds it. You see, if no one picks up the donated food, there'd be nothing to hand out. If there were no chairs or tables set out, people wouldn't stay as long. If the floors weren't vacuumed and the building was filthy, people would begin to stop coming. If we don't give tithes, we can't afford to run the programs. We can't afford to pay the bills and we can't afford to pay the pastor. 
If we don't give extra offerings, then the children in the schools wouldn't have noodles for lunch. They wouldn't have an up and go in the morning to help them concentrate and do better in school. We wouldn't be able to hand out bags of groceries to families struggling. It's true, we all have a role to play in contributing to building the foundation. And this is what the people did in this passage when they built the foundation of the temple. They all contributed. Did they do it begrudgingly or with an angry heart? No, they didn't. And that leads us to the fourth point, that they praised and thanked the Lord. Ezra 3.11 says, With praise and thanks they sang this song to the Lord. He is so good, his faithful love for for Israel endures forever. Then all the people gave a great shout, praising the Lord because the foundation of the Lord's temple had been laid. You see, the building of a foundation with a unified purpose, it deserves to be celebrated. It deserves for us to praise, to give thanks, to sing, to shout, to be happy, because the foundation for the Lord is a foundation which is built to stand through many years, to change many lives and many hearts. When a foundation is built on a rock as solid as our Lord, nothing can shake it. We should celebrate this, we should sing, we should praise, we should give thanks. A foundation cannot be built with disunity, nor can it be built without the contribution of all of us. Now, do you remember at the beginning we read verse 12? Remember I told you it didn't make much sense? Some of them are weeping, some of them are rejoicing. Without looking back in the history of the verse, it didn't make much sense. But if we look at it again, it follows directly after this verse of praise for the foundation being laid. It says, But many of the older priests, Levites and other leaders who had seen the first temple, wept aloud when they saw the new temple's foundation. The others, however, were shouting for joy. The joyful shouting and weeping mingled together in a loud noise that could be heard far in the distance. Now we think, why were some of them so sad, the older leaders and the priests, why were they so upset when there were so many people who were so happy? It was because they had seen the first temple, the splendour, the extravagance, the huge temple that King Solomon had built. And this one, it was smaller than the other one. It wasn't quite as extravagant, it wasn't the same. And you see, they began to compare rather than to see what God had done for them. But for those generations who had been born in exile, this was the best thing. It was the first time they had a place to worship and that's why they were celebrating. You know, it can be hard. Some of us have been in churches that were bigger and more extravagant. Some of us have been in churches singing hymns since we were children. For some of us, growing up in the church has almost blinded us to the outside. You see, the people in this passage had lived in exile for 70 years. That's a long time. 70 years of nowhere to go to worship, nowhere to make offerings to the Lord they believed in. But instead of celebrating, they were weeping. The younger ones who were born in that 70 years had never had the privilege of being in the house of the Lord. They were celebrating because finally they were able to be in the presence of the Lord. You know, it's important for us to remember, don't be so busy weeping for what was lost that you cannot celebrate the privilege standing before you. God came to save the world, not to condemn the world. 
He came to save the lost. The Bible tells us it's not the healthy that need the doctor. You see, they lived in exile for 70 years. That's two or three generations. This is what we are building a foundation for. We know that the word of the Lord endures forever. So let's stop living comfortably, mourning the loss of a more magnificent building where God is showing us, look, I am here building a foundation amongst people who are unified, people who give, amongst those who contribute, and amongst those who praise me. Think about it. We all know about ruins, don't we? Our lives aren't much different than the people of Judah back then. We know firsthand social ruins. We've been isolated, lonely, separated from people that we love, the friends that we hold dear, especially over these past few months. Like these people, we know economic ruin, businesses are closed, profits are down, jobs have been lost. Maybe it's your health. Maybe symptoms are exacerbated and you can't get an appointment with the doctor. Or perhaps it's your mental health as a result of the stress and uncertainty. Even spiritually, we can experience ruins. Our faith can be shaken and weakened in the face of disappointments around us, in the face of unanswered prayers. But you see, when our lives and our world is in ruins, we too need to start rebuilding our foundation of social ruins, economic, health, our spiritual. We need to start rebuilding the foundations that we have built those things upon. And what do we build it with? There's two stones that we build it with. We build it with God's word. You see, the Bible tells us that God's word is the source of truth and knowledge in this world. God's word is powerful. It contains his promises. Like, God does all things for our good. Promises like, you are forgiven, you are loved, you are cared for. God's word directs, it empowers, it enlightens it gives life, it sustains faith and nourishes it. Jesus described this kind of foundation by saying, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the wind beat and blew on the house, but it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. This foundation block will last. The other stone we need is Jesus Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.11, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And we build on and we stand on and we live on that fundamental truth. Jesus Christ crucified and risen for me. We build on, live on and stand on our Saviour and his work for us. Work which makes us right with God and gives us eternal life. The foundation of God's word and Jesus Christ is the only foundation that will last and can stand. When you rebuild your foundation, start with the right foundation. After we have the foundation, we can begin to shift the focus. After the foundation was laid, there was a celebration. And in this celebration, we saw two things. We saw joy and we saw sorrow. You see, in the midst of rebuilding, the faithful responded with joy and sorrow. And we too can feel these emotions during times like this. Maybe things aren't the way they used to be. Whether it's our lives or our services, it's okay to be sad about that. It's okay to grieve what has been lost. 
It's okay to not be okay. But we need to tell the Lord what we are feeling and he will then bring us into the fullness of what he's planned for our lives. You know, after they completed the second temple, the Lord said in the book of Haggai 2.9, the latter glory of this house will be greater than the former. There are times in all of our lives when we need a new beginning with God. Maybe you've failed the Lord deliberately through sin or rebellion. Maybe it's been a careless drifting into the world and its ways, neglecting God. Maybe it was a disappointment or a trial which has caused you to drift from the fellowship that you once had with God and, and his people. Then you need a new beginning. And what we have to realise is that if you need a new beginning, if you need to rebuild the foundation, don't try and do it alone. Yeah. It's best done in unity and with the two stones of God's word and Jesus Christ. It's time for us to stand up. It's time to move forward. It's time to unite together and build the foundation that God wants us to build for those who need it. For those who for 70 years, for generations, have not had a place they can come into to know God. For those who have never had a place that they felt welcome to worship in. These are who we are building the foundation for. Don't make excuses anymore. Don't let sickness stop you. Don't let age stop you. Don't let your unfamiliarity with the songs stop you. It's time to, for us to rise up and take our place amongst the workforce for the foundation, to build a foundation that honours the Lord. I hope that this message has challenged you today. When we meet together, when we become part of something bigger, we become united. Why were the Israelites able to rebuild the foundation? because they were united. They came to the project with a unified purpose. They gave regularly, they all contributed, and they praised and thanked the Lord. As individuals, as families, as larger groups, as the church, we are building foundations to honour the Lord, foundations that will support people to come and know him, foundations that will break our personal trials and battles, Foundations that will last for many, many years. We are building foundations with our unified purpose. It's my prayer today that you are a part of our foundation. I thank each and every one of you for, for your role and purpose in this place. Please don't take for granted what the Lord has done in your life. Never stop giving praise and thanksgiving for what he's done in you. God bless you.